I've preached this the third time now, and the first time I wasn't sure I quite had a sermon, so I told the 9.30 that I wasn't quite sure I had a sermon, rather more uh, just a kind of a series of observations. Uh, I think it turns out to be a sermon in the end, I'm hoping. <laughs> I appreciate that, I'm sure they will. Um, but to recap, uh, I'm preaching on the gospel this morning, and uh, the story is, is that Jesus gets onto a boat. Uh, he uh, arrives in his own city, um, and uh, he, there's brought to him this paralytic. He tells the paralytic that his sins are forgiven. The Sadducees are upset about that, because who are you to forgive sins? You're not God. Only God can forgive sins. And so he says, you know, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and go home, that you know the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And then he does it, and everyone's in awe. As I read the commentators, the, uh, the first thing that I noticed on this was is that getting into a boat, he crossed over to his own city. And there were so many opinions on what town that is. Is it Nazareth? Is it Capernaum? Is it, you know, Nain or all this, you know? And uh, everyone had their own opinion. It was Capernaum. Just in case you're wondering. Okay. You have it on my authority. So you take that for what it's worth. The first thing, the first observation, and there's three. The first observation is, is that Jesus healed this man because he saw their faith. Whose faith did, they, did he see? Well, he saw the faith of the people that carried him to Jesus. It wasn't the paralytic's faith. It was the faith of those who brought him to Jesus. And the first thing that I want to point out here is that, that, that we can never underestimate the power of our faith in the salvation of our fellow man. Now, it may be the case that you actually go pick somebody up and bring them to Jesus. That would be wonderful. I would highly encourage you that if someone doesn't have a ride or not inclined to go or whatever, put them in your car and bring them here. Or you can ask them to come, simpler thing. But you can always get on your knees for them and bring them to Jesus. And that is what we must be doing. With everyone that we know, that shows no sign of, of, of spiritual life whatsoever. And we all have family members and friends and really, you know, practically the whole world around us that haven't darkened the door of a church and for decades. They need to be brought to Jesus. Point number one. Now, point number three, I'm going to give you, you said we're having a point number two. I'm going to give you point number three first and then we'll circle back to point number two. And it's just point number three because it, it takes place, you know, later on in the story. There's a curious statement here, and I don't know if you noticed it. When the crowd saw it, it's what I read to you. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Plural. It's a bit odd because the only one there that had authority was Jesus. One man. And actually, in the Greek, it is men. There's two ways of saying it. Anthropon, man. Anthropos, men. Just like English, we say man and men. We have a different word, a different ending. Now, 
When you read the gospel, when you read any gospel, but especially the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you, you are receiving a historical narrative. But it, it's not just a historical narrative because the gospel writer is writing to an audience and he has a point to make for an end result. Matthew writes about the kingdom. Mark is mostly Peter's preaching, very frenetic. Jesus did this and did that. And the, every sentence in the Gospel of Mark begins with and. <laughs> it's a, a continuous stream. There's no periods. Of course, there's no, there's no punctuation in any of the manuscripts. But, but, I mean, it's just and, 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 and. Kind of like Jesus wrote, you know, kind of like Peter running around. Luke is the gospel according to Mary. He hadn't there been there for the event, so he goes to her and asks her, because there's things that appear there that only she could know. <laughs> so Matthew is writing this, and he says, and Matthew, the writer, says, men. Now, in the next chapter, and it hadn't happened yet, but it's already happened in Matthew's life, because he's writing this 30 years at least after these events had taken place. Okay. So he's, he's, he's seeing the beginning from the end, and that's why he says, men, because in chapter 10, the 12 had been given authority to go out and raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons and forgive sins. And we know for a fact that Matthew was in the room in John 20 when he said, he breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Those sins that you retain are retained, and the ones that you remit are remitted. And that is the, those are the words that every priest has laid upon him when the bishop ordains him to the priesthood. He has the power to do that as Jesus had the power to do that and gave it to his apostles. So he gave it, so they gave it to their bishops and it is handed down to this very day. The power to remit sins. Men. That's why he writes that. Now, point number two, which is really three. The man comes up to him and he can't walk. And he says, get up and walk. No, he doesn't say that. He says, your sins are forgiven. Okay. Now, hear me out. Certainly not every illness is caused immediately by some sin. Although it can be said in the larger sense that all disease is caused by original sin. Adam and every man ever born would still be alive today if he hadn't sinned. The world would look quite differently. But there are sicknesses, particular individual ones that happen, that are the result of sin. And this is an instance of it. Because he says... Your sins are forgiven, which is to heal him. They are interconnected. Now, the other thing that I want to point out here, and it's very interesting, is, is that you cannot see sin forgiven. Let's say you go into a confessional, and you walk in, and you say, Father, forgive me for my sins, and you list out your sins, and he says, I absolve you in the name of Christ, acting in the person of Christ for Jesus. He, his sins are forgiven. He walks out. Does he have some glow about him? Is there a halo over his head? Does he look, you know, is he walking off the ground? Is he bi-locating bi or something like that? No. He doesn't look any different. Okay? So Jesus says, 
here's an object lesson in my power. I'm gonna, you're going to be able to see the forgiveness of sins. Get up and walk. And what does he do? He gets up and walk. His sins are forgiven. Here's a question, just another observation. We'll call this 2A in the outline. I don't actually have an outline. Uh, You know me. Uh, Which is more important, the fact that his sins were forgiven or that his body was healed? I will take an answer from the knee. His sins were forgiven. And so far, everyone's gotten that right. Why, Why is that? I'll answer that one. Because this man is dead. (laughs) He's long gone. He healed his body for a while, but he went the way of the world. There's not some dude from, you know, from Jesus' city walking around, you know, still, you know, alive. Lazarus is dead. The widow's son is dead. They're all dead. (laughs) What's important was is that his sins were forgiven so that the last day of his life, which he did in fact have, was the best day of his life and not the worst. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.